Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Hey, the Unity Movement is uh, known as practical spirituality or practical Christianity. We talked about some of this during today's metaphysical group, and, and in that group we are discussing the Gospel of Thomas, which was found in 1945, and inevitably something that comes up in class relates to what I have planned to share. I don't plan that, it's just kind of amazing how it happens. So we were talking about being practical spirituality, practical religion, and at this same time, our movement is very mystical, very spiritual, very numinous. By that, I mean we talk about utilizing our truth teachings so that we can have happy, prosperous, healthy lives right here and right now, using spiritual principles to demonstrate love and relationships and joy and peace of mind and an abundance of all good things necessary to, to have life and have it abundantly. And yet the tools that we use to do that are often intuition, going within and listening to spirit, and meditation in which we open our minds and our hearts and to expand and connect and commune with all of life. We use spiritual principles, I mean tools such as dream interpretation or walking a labyrinth or studying uh, mystical traditions, all of which to undergird and support are very practical way of addressing life. So in a sense, we have feet in, in two different worlds, the very practical, phenomenal world of right here and right now, and the spirit world that is limitless. Anybody ever have an, an experience you might consider mystical? Something happens and you don't have any place to put it, no words, it's numinous, it's sacred, it's holy, it probably came unbidden. You didn't like go out seeking for seeking it. I want to go have a spiritual experience. It's just like, whoa, something happens, or or synchronicities where two things come together in a way you could never in a million years have imagined, and they do, and you think, what are the odds of that? Well, I can tell you what the odds of that were, 100% they happened. And a synchronistic experience happens because there is a connection in your mind between two things that maybe nobody else in the world ever knew. So our scriptures record any number of numinous or sacred experiences. Individuals have dreams and visions and interpretation, and, and there are healings and miracles. All of these things kind of fall under the rubric or the title of mystical experience. Well, there's one I would like to talk about to, with you today as kind of a starter for a way of integrating unity's second principle into our lives. And this is the experience that is referred to as the transfiguration of Jesus. So it's recorded in the three synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And this is a story where Jesus leads three of his disciples up onto a mountaintop and is illumined. I think we have a picture of this. I, I, I don't know if it's... A, there you go. Um, it, where, where he is illumined and he's joined by Elijah and Moses. And there's a great light about him. And, 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 I can just say and forever and always as I find my place. 
And this is the version, yeah, that's called a stalling tactic. So you can, it, it, it makes you, people think, oh, he must be really gathering a thought. No, he's trying to get his iPad to work. Um, so this is the version from the Gospel of Mark. Oh, and the reason why this is important is because in the traditional church, the transfiguration is always celebrated on August the 6th, Myrtle Fillmore's birthday, I might add. And then the Sunday, closest to it, is Transfiguration Sunday. So I want to build a bridge to uh, the traditional faith communities as well, because at Unity, we're all about building bridges and not walls. So this is what it says in Mark. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before him them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared with him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. You know, it's kind of like when you're caught off guard and you just start stuttering and rambling. That's kind of what he was doing. So many scholars think that what he wanted to do was stall and keep all three of these figures there. Many, um, then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Makes you wonder who had the mystical experience. Was it the narrator of this story? Was it Peter, John, and James? Was it Jesus? Or is this maybe a reminder to us? that sometimes moments of illumination happen and moments of affirmation as well. Remember the line, listen to him. This is my son, the beloved. It reminds me of the story of Jesus' baptism found in Matthew where it says, and when Jesus had been baptized just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw God's spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This recounting of the baptism has some mystical elements, just like the transfiguration, the opening of the heavens, the spirit descending like a dove. And again, that affirmation, this is my son, the beloved. So these are moments, these are pivotal moments in the life of Jesus that occur in places that peoples around the world have always considered holy. So think about mountains. There are a variety of holy mountains in the world, Mount Olympus in Greek mythology, uh, Mount Sinai to the, the monotheistic traditions, or rivers. Think about the Jordan River where this baptism occurred, or think of the Ganges River that's sacred to Hindus. So natural places to humanity have always had spiritual value, some more than others. Think about the vortexes in Sedona, if you want to go that way for the New Thought community or New Agers. So mountains normally connote a point where human nature meets God. You think we go up to the, go up to the mountaintop. It is a, temporal, a meeting place of the temporal, this world, and the eternal. And in the transfiguration experience himself, Jesus is the connecting point, acting as the bridge between heaven and earth between past and present. And the stories of the transfiguration and the baptism 
do they concern, contain an affirmation for Jesus only? Or as we in Unity and New Thought look at the scriptures, can we be so bold to say that those are stories that represent our spiritual growth and development? Can we see them as a reflection of our own coming to know ourselves as individualized expressions of the divine? And is it possible as well that on a metaphorical or even literal level that the mountains or the waters might be the place where you and I connect with the divine, where you and I could be the point where the temporal and the eternal meet, where you and I can be the place where heaven and earth join together. Is it possible that in these sort of numinous experiences ascribed to Jesus that I think we can claim that we, you and me, might be illumined, that we might discern the wisdom of the ancients like the visitation of Elijah and Moses right here and right now in our lives and in our times. You know, I think about how these sorts of experiences show up cross-culturally. For example, in the Hindu tradition, an experience similar to the, the transfiguration is referred to as Shaktipat, the transmission of spiritual energy from one person to another or from the divine to somebody and considered as a grace. The mystical experience recorded at the Transfiguration or in Shaktipat might be considered archetypal experiences of illumination and awakening, which in some way make the individual who is having them a holy person. So this is great, all this cross-cultural talk, all this metaphysics, but how does that relate to what we teach in Unity, that practical aspect? There's got to be something practical about that, right? Unity's second principle affirms that everyone is an individualized expression of God, that we are all inherently good, that in spite of our oh-so-human veneer, everybody do a face palm, oh, in spite of our humanity, that at our core, we are conduits of grace, divine love incarnate. But how and under what circumstances does any one of us ever come to accept this as our lived reality? What's it going to take? What moment of illumination, what sacred experience comes to us to awaken us to the truth of who we are, to know that second principle, and to know we have spiritual power? We might say in unity, 12 powers. How we might utilize who we are and the gifts we have for good. Not just only to create our own life of health, wealth, abundance, peace, joy for ourselves, but for everyone with whom we share the earth as home, as we heard in our opening affirmation. I suppose there are some people who just know their inherent goodness who just know the truth of their being. And that's probably all of us, but somewhere along the line, many of us forget that. And we need something to remind us 
of who we are and why we're here. So there probably might be some manner of initiatory experience, a moment of awakening and a reminder of the truth of our being. So anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, mythologists, to name a few disciplines, have named this sort of an experience as an archetypal shamanic initiation. And while not everyone in the world will become a shaman or a faith community leader, I do believe everyone does have moments of holy initiation where they come to know, I am here to do a good work. I am here to be love and grace and expression. So I want to talk a little bit about archetypes. I want to talk about shamanism, and I want to talk about how this relates to unity. So a bit about archetypes. So an archetype is a recurrent symbol or motif that appears in literature, art, religion, life. Common archetypes you might be familiar with are the wise elder, the trickster, the magician, the king, the warrior, the divine child, the healer, the shaman. You get the picture. And any one of us at any point of our lives could manifest an archetypal experience because sometimes we manifest in our lives particular symbols of archetypes as a part of our spiritual growth and development. Sometimes we just notice a few things coming together that constellate in the reminder that there's something in me growing, some awareness about my life and what I am doing that, that, that lets us know that there's something afoot. I studied a lot of this in graduate school. I'll talk about that in a moment. So in the Jesus experience that we've just talked about, symbols of shamanic initiation would include his baptism, going down underwater and being birthed again, the transfiguration, going up to the mountaintop and being illumined, the 40-day temptation in the wilderness where he was tempted by the evil one. And these are all symbols of our shamanic initiation. Maybe you've had times when you've gone underwater or felt like you've gone underwater and been reborn. Or maybe you've had times when you felt like you've been on the mountaintop and received some inspiration. Maybe you've had times of temptation and travail that just really seemed awful. It's like, how am I going to get through this? And so it begs the question then, so what is the role of a shaman in a culture? So a shaman serves as an intermediary between the spirit world and the physical world to bring mental, spiritual, physical healing and to speak on behalf of the divine to the people and to help the people and to serve the earth. Sounds a lot like the clergy to me. A lot like the clergy. Because we all do those things. And having studied with shamanism, studied shamanism myself, and having collaborated with a wide variety of faith tradition leaders from a variety of faith traditions, I can attest that regardless of the title, the role of a faith leader, whether a shaman, priest, imam, rabbi, minister, is essentially the same to help, to serve, to love. So in unity, we often describe Jesus as the great example, not the great exception of who and what any one of us can be, meaning that each and every one of us can demonstrate that same consciousness that we ascribe to him. 
This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased are words that I believe are not exclusive to him, but to you and to me. If we think of Jesus as one who came to earth as God fully formed in human expression, that does not make him a real example for us because we can't reach that level of expression. But if we think of him as one who demonstrated and came to awaken into who he was, I can get on board with that. Because every day, hopefully, I see a little bit more of that myself as I release my ignorance about this, that, and the other thing and claim my knowledge of Christ within. So we all have stories of awakening, don't we? Has anybody had a story? Anybody ever raise your hand to think you ever had a moment of awakening somewhere along the line when you felt a sense of connection that was really special? Yeah, you may not become a Peruvian shaman. You may not become a unity minister, but I would like to share a quick story about a unity minister who had such an experience. Next slide, please. So there I am. It's 2005, February, standing atop the Zunantunich Pyramid in Belize. I can't, when I was in graduate school, I did a, a directed, self-directed independent study in which I highlighted my initiation into the shamanic journey. I didn't know that's what was happening. But on this trip, several symbols of shamanic initiation happened. It was the year 2005. We'd gone to Belize, and here I am going up on top of the pyramid. Anthony was with me. And... Uh, so I climbed a mountain, a very sacred holy mountain, which in the uh, uh, indigenous language means a stone woman. Later that week, we went to Amberger's Key to, do our, to go scuba diving. So we went out and we did our certifying dives. When you go down under the water, you're 60 feet underwater, and you take off all of your equipment. Interesting and kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> and then emerge back in the water. Unfortunately, the weather turned. We could not go back out anymore after that. So top of the mountain, bottom of the ocean. Two symbols of shamanic initiation in one way, shape, form. Often a symbol of a shamanic initiation is a dis-ease or a close brush with death. What I didn't know was as I was standing there, I had malaria. I had two types of malaria. Anthony had a third type. There are only four types in the world. 90% of all malaria cases are in sub-Saharan Africa. They were in Central America. One of the versions of malaria I had is always fatal if not treated. I did not know that. So in the course of my sickness and illness, I did get very close to death. And while I was being hospitalized, I either had hallucinations or spirit vegetations. I saw people in the room praying for me. I asked the nurses and the medical team, hey, can you tell me, was this woman here? Was this woman here? Were, were these people here? No, sir, you had no visitors. Interesting. Because along with a symbol of the shamanic initiation as a brush with death, there is also a temptation to label a shaman mentally ill. Recall in this Jesus story in Mark chapter 3 when he was teaching and his family came because they were told he was beside himself. And now that's biblical language, but they thought he was nuts. Later on, as a part of my ministerial training, 
well, actually a little bit earlier, we had to take a psychological profile test called the MMPI. Have any of you ever taken it, Minnesota Multiphasic Poly Personality Indicator? And then we met with a psychiatrist, all the members of my group. And I remember Dr. Domian asking me, he said, you know that question about I sometimes hear voices and see visions? And I said, yes. He said, you all checked yes. I said, okay. He said, that's our marker for schizophrenia. <laughs> we had to renorm the test for you. I mean, not just me, but the rest of the group. Renorm the test for a valid spiritual experience that would have labeled us as crazy. It was at this exact same time when I came home from the hospital and I was recovering that I realized I got out of the hospital on Good Friday as I sat there watching Pope John Paul II die, who later made his transition a few days later. 2005 was the year I turned 40. It was a long time ago. 2005 was also the year I became senior minister of my church. Symbols of shamanic initiation. There's one other symbol that often accompanies the arrival of a new shaman, and that is an accompaniment of an animal. The day before I became, I was inducted in, uh, as senior minister, installed rather, we took our goddaughter to PetSmart to get a cat collar for a cat. For some reason, we came home with a new dog. <laughs> so as we were leaving, the, the, the agency said, oh yeah, the, the family has been fostering her, has called her Sophie, from the Greek word Sophia, wisdom. And I said, thank you for letting us know. You see, my parents had a dog named Sophie. And we got home that day, and I was re reading the instructions for the crate, as I was ordered to do, because I don't read instruction manuals. And Anthony always tells me, you need to read the instruction manual. And I read it, and I started laughing. And he goes, what are you laughing at? And I said, the, the, the crate was imported by a company called Midwest Home for Pets in Muncie, Indiana, my hometown. <laughs> I later called my parents about this and said, hey, do you know anything about this company? And they said, yes, it's right by ARF, Animal Rescue Foundation, from which they had gotten their dog, whose name was Sophie. Cannot make this stuff up. Synchronicity after synchronicity, traditional symbol after traditional symbol. I choose to believe I am a beloved child of God, in spite of my humanity, I choose to believe all the rest of us are too. You see, ultimately what I hope you see in the story of Myrtle Fillmore, who leveraged a life-threatening illness to become a world leader for millions, what I hope you see in the story of Jesus, who was quite an iconoclastic figure, and even in yours truly's story, is that each and every one of us has sacred and holy moments of awakening and illumination. These are real. These are valid. These are ways in which the infinity that we call God says to you, you matter. You are here to do a mighty and a holy work that only you can do and only the way you can do it. The times these days 
our calling for us all to let our light shine. Please do that. Be you and be a blessing to the world. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.